Father, this evening, once again we come to you, Lord, and I bring everyone, Lord, whether they are struggling with their body and addiction or with their mind or relationship, thoughts, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it is, Lord, we look to the cross. You said on the cross, it is finished. And it is finished. And I pray people will look up. Like the children of Israel who were bitten by the serpents. One thing you said, look up and live. The victory of Christ over powers of darkness. Look up and live. And I pray today and each day people will keep looking up. And they will be continuously set free by the power of God, Lord. The cross may be foolishness to this world. But it is the wisdom of God, O oh Lord. It is the power of God, O oh God. It is the might of God displayed where every power of darkness was crushed under the feet of your Son, Lord. And I pray, Father, people will look up and love. So speak to us once again, Lord. And let the ministry of the word each time we hear, we read, continuously cleanse us and set us free more and more to serve you, Lord. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen, amen, amen. Like we said, it's Good Friday. It's a good Friday. It's, because it's the best thing that ever happened to mankind. But the shadow of it, the substance happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, but the shadow of it had been cast thousands of years earlier. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 31, we'll look at that part for a little. When Israel was going to leave Egypt, that was a shadow. How God wrought an incredible deliverance for his people. But the substance would be 2,000 years ago for all people. First for Israel and then for all of us. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and two doors posts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two door posts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Then you shall say, it's the Passover, sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So the Pharaoh rose in the midnight, and he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And verse 31, 
Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. So please remember, that's what caused the Pharaoh to set God's people free. And he said, go and serve your God. So in one day, 430 years of bondage was over. In one day, God did it. But 2,000 years ago, God set all of us free. Jesus was God's Passover lamb. And John's entire ministry was to point us towards Jesus. The message of repentance was to prepare people to leave the life of sin, break that power, leave the bondage of this world, and receive the work of Jesus Christ in their lives. He would set us free. If you look at verse 22 and 23 there, <clears throat> instructions were very clear. Instruction was, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. One, you should have the blood over the doorposts of your house. Two, you should stay inside. And if you do that, when the angel of death comes, the Lord will restrain it from their houses. You see, it sounds like foolishness. You mean something so small like that can release you from the bondage of 430 years? Take a lamb, keep it for 10 days, and then cut it. I mean, take its blood, and then take his up and put, I mean, you mean it can be free from this huge, powerful empire with something so silly like that? Sometimes the cross actually looks like foolishness. Can God set you free? Okay. But you look at it, what God is actually telling. You have to listen to the instructions always. Like Israel had to listen to the instructions carefully. We also have to listen to everything that we hear carefully. In verse 5 of that same chapter 12, 5, the first thing God says is, Your lamb shall be without blemish, spotless. It has to be a male of first year. cannot be a female. It has to be a male. Okay, ladies, forgive me, but that's God. Okay, it cannot be. The Redeemer is male. It's not a female. Okay? If the Redeemer was a female, then the wives would be the head of the house. The husbands are the head of the house because the Redeemer is a male. That's why the husbands are the savior of their wives. So everything has to fit into pattern, even into the smallest thing. It's a male. Okay? A male of the first year. And if you come to verse 22, we looked at it earlier, that the lamb is cut, the blood is collected in the basin, but you shall take a bunch of hyssop. It's a small little grass-like thing that grows around wells inside well, small little thing. So you have to be very, very careful. Okay? Uh, there will be other things much better than that, but go by instruction. What are you asked to dip it in? It's hyssop, meaning even a tiny bit of faith is enough. 
He didn't ask to take a palm leaf or a branch. Nothing. He said hyssop, something which nobody even nobody noticed hyssop until this was mentioned for this use. Nobody thought about hyssop. But when God mentioned it, it came to notice. Meaning God says, it's all that it takes is little faith. Little faith. And strike it on the lintel of your house, here and both sides. You have to go by his order. Okay? Do not put it down. Don't put it down. Lay on the top, the sides. And don't go out. Stay inside. Don't put the blood on the footstep or the threshold. Don't do it. It's dangerous to do it. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 to 29. Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? That's why he said, don't put it there. You go underneath. You don't trample upon the blood of Jesus. Because you are insulting the spirit of grace. Okay? So that's what it means. So we have to be very, very careful about how we do things. That is the picture. But this is the substance. This is the substance. And we go and apply the substance in our lives. And the Passover, when they kept it, it broke the power of Pharaoh. And God says, you keep it in its substance in your life each day. It breaks the power of the Pharaoh of this world. It breaks it over your life. And devil has no choice but let you go to serve God. Okay. You are free. But that doesn't mean he will not pursue you. The Pharaoh will pursue you. You are free. He will come back after you. But for everything, God has his own ways. You don't worry about it. Once you have left Egypt, there is only one life available. It is the life of faith. There is no other life available on that side of Good Friday, if you want to call it. You come through that blood, there is only one life. You cannot go back to the life of sight. The only life possible is the life of faith. Exodus 13, verses 18 onward, 13, 18 onwards. The Lord led the people around by the way of the wilderness. How did they go? The Lord led them. It's nothing else. You have to allow him to lead you. That's the life of faith. The life of faith it's the leading of God. Today, this morning, Pastor Vijay was talking about, no? When he was talking about different places, you see in the Bible, it's always continuously repeated. And that's where the Israel went wrong. 
He says, if you hear my voice and keep my commandments. What happens? They kept his commandments, but they didn't hear his voice. It's only when you hear his voice, you get to know the spirit behind the commandment. You can keep the commandment without hearing his voice. You, t- you give me, like off the cuff, you give me any commandment from the Old Testament. Honor the Sabbath. What does it mean? That's a letter. What it means, you have to enter into God's rest. That is hearing his voice. If you don't hear his voice, you will keep the commandments and the commandment will pull you down. Because the letter of the law kills. Letter of the law kills. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What does it mean? Love your neighbor as yourself. You will not want you to harm your neighbor. That's what it means. You can keep it by the letter and never love your neighbor. And it kills you. That's where they went wrong. And that's where we also go wrong. You have to hear his voice. What is he saying? And that's how he's leading them. And he's beginning this pattern in their lives. God led the people and they went out orderly. And verse 19. Let's keep. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Did you see that? If you go to Genesis chapter 40, 50, verses 24 to 20. The last lines in the book of Genesis. This is that old man. He's 110 years. He's about to die. When he's about to die, Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac. His last words are prophetic. He says, no, I am dying. But you will not live here. You will go out. God will send somebody and take you out. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you. And when he does, you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he put a coffin in Egypt. His father was taken back and buried in the promised land, because they all died in faith, and even he is dying in faith. So he's not buried. His body is kept over there, and he had told, a day will come. 430 years later, the day has come, and in Egypt, there is one box that is there, which is attached sentimentally for the Israelites, that is Joseph's, and they remember, oh, in the days of Joseph, it was good for us, good for us, good for us, he did refuse to be buried, and his body is there, it's not in a pyramid or anything, it's out there, embalmed and kept, so when they are leaving, the man who lived and died by faith, his bones go with them. Go with them. So you go back to verse 19, Exodus 13, 19 onwards again. Okay. Because God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Verse 20. So they took their journey from Sukkoth, Camden, Atham, and the goddess. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. The question is, can we be led by God day and night? He led them. So all the pictures given over there, all led. Day and night, can we? This is the only beginning of their salvation. Just the beginning of their salvation. And there was going to be a long, long journey. And that journey is going to be the journey of sanctification, part two. They only have been delivered from the power of Egypt. They've been set free to leave. Now they have to be sanctified, free from the bondage. Now what holds them bondage is the ideas of Egypt. 
And ideas are very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. And we don't realize how powerful. We know it very well. How can you chain a massive, how many ton elephant with a small chain? <laughs> that fellow moves like this. Moves like this. All his life. It's an idea in his head. It's been told. It's an idea in his head. In the same way, ideas hold us as prisoners. There's only one idea that sets you free. It's called the kingdom of God. And God says, that's why what you need to seek. The more you seek, the more you find it, you'll become more and more and more and free. Because God is not an enslaver. God is a God who sets his people free. The devil enslaves. And all these 101 ideas around are all ideas that enslaves you. It takes your, it takes your soul and cages your soul. Takes you back into bondage. So now their mind has to be released. But problem is, because they refused that all the days of their life, they could not enjoy their salvation. Salvation is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Though they have been declared righteous by the blood because the death angel passed over them. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 5 is. Though they have gone through all their formats that should have set them free, they struggled and we struggle. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. First they were baptized in the cloud, not in the water. Because these are new believers. Exactly what he did with the Gentiles. He didn't baptize the Gentiles first with water. He baptized first them in the spirit. And this is the beginning of Israel. So he does not baptize them in water first. He baptizes them in the cloud first. Go with my power out. And then baptizes them in the water. Okay, that's how he does it. But the problem is, they struggled. And they struggled. And they struggled. And they struggled. And we too struggled. And who are those who perished? All of those who left Israel and followed perished. Who are the only ones who crossed over into the promised land? Those who became disciples on the way. Do you know what we are struggling with? We struggle with discipleship. Only the disciples crossed. The followers perished. We have to always ask, why did the first generation fail to cross over? Passover is one thing. Crossing over is another thing. They passed over. The angel of death passed over them. But they did not cross over into their destiny. Why? Because they were followers, but they were not disciples. They refused to become disciples. That's that's the issue. And we need to realize everybody struggles with this. When does our struggle finish? Our struggle will finish when the day we become a disciple. The day we know we are a disciple, the struggle is over. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was arrested around this week. 
and he was taken. And he was taken to the court of the high priest, Anas and Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the father-in-law and Anas was the son-in-law, one of that. Peter followed from far. John knew somebody in the house, so he managed to get the gate open and they went inside. That is the scene. If you turn to John chapter 18, verse 17, Jesus is there, Peter is there, John 18 and verse and the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. I am not. The word Christian is only used three times in the new covenant. One has Christians and twice has Christian. Twice in the book of Acts and one in the book of Peter, episode of Peter. But what is the word that is used is disciple and the first question asked to Peter after Jesus is arrested is are you his disciple and he said no I'm not I'm not I'm not his disciple please understand honestly the first question a disciple faces after Jesus is taken is the question are you a disciple and they say they are not what were you doing for three and a half years? What were you for three and a half years? Okay. The question God is asking us also is this. Are you a disciple? Are we disciples? Israel failed to be a disciple. First generation lost. Church also. 2000 years of church history is its failure to make disciples. They made followers. They made believers. Followers, believers, different names. But they have very badly failed to make disciples. So the portion we looked in First Corinthians 10, you don't have to go there. It is possible to be saved, possible to be baptized in the water, possible to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, attend church regularly, heat of manna, without fail, drink of that water, which is Jesus Christ, the rock that followed them, and yet not be discipled. Never be a disciple. So let's look at the principle of discipleship Jesus gives. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 50. Mark 3, verses 13 to 50. He went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. That's the first thing. He goes up a mountain. Can I have that chair free because I liked sitting down at times. Okay. He went up on the mountain. An elevated place. A little difficult place. And he called to him those he himself wanted. Who is a disciple? A disciple is whom Jesus calls to himself those he wants. And they go to him. They go to him. Okay, remember. Who is a disciple? A disciple is who Jesus calls to himself. And they are the ones he wants. And they go to him when he calls. And he appointed twelve. Why did he appoint them? What did he appoint them for? First thing, that they might be with him. Not that they would go and preach. No. 
the first thing he wants of his disciples is, you would be with me. And that's where we first fail. First thing is that, to be with him. And two, then send them out. And three, verse 14, 15, to exercise the power of the kingdom. Three things. Be with me. I will send you. When he will send, we will do not know. That is his prerogative. How long he will keep with us, we do not know. Disciple to disciple, it changes. For Moses had to be with him for 40 years. Joseph had to be for 13 years. The disciples had to be for three and a half years and another 50 days. Each one, he is the only one who knows. But to everyone, the call is the same. I call you, come to me, be with me. Be with me. So the question is, am I a disciple or am I a follower? Because followers wander and perish in spite of all their blessings. Blessings. The first call of a disciple is, come to me, be with me. That's why Ramba, the first question he asked two of John's disciples follow him. What do you see? They said, where do you stay? He said, come. For the first time, somebody is telling him, we want to be with you. He's tickle pink. If they had said, we want healing, he said, take it, go. You're looking at deliverance, take it, go. But when they said, where do you say? He said, come. Come with me and stay with me. Come with me and stay with me. Okay? So please remember, he can call you only when he knows we are following him. For himself and not nothing, anything else. Even in our prayer, when we are going to him in prayer, always ask, what am I going to him for? What am I going to him for? What am we going to him for? And the day when he looks into our heart and realizes we are going to him for your own sake, he will say, come, be with me. So that we can know him. That's Psalm 103 and verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses. Why? Because he was with him. What did he say? My presence shall go with you. And he will have rest. In the process he learned who God was. He learned who God was. Because he was with him. Philippians 3.10 3.10 That I might know him. I want to do great deeds for him. No. I want to be sent out. No. What will he have me do? Go. It will be told you. First question. What will he have? Go. It will be told you. And sometime later he told him. I want you to spend time with me. Where Lord? Go into the desert. Of Arabia. And he spent time with him. For a long time. For that. And then when he came out. I did not confer with flesh and blood. And you have heard from God and been with him, why do you need counsel now? <laughs> what does it make? It only create confusion and conflict. Okay. So he has to 
gumption to say what I heard, received, I did not receive it from man. I received it as God. And then 14 years later, when he's in Jerusalem, they all agree and say that we have nothing to add to this. Okay. Now, that is Paul, that is Apostle to write the epistles and all, but the format is still the same. It hasn't changed because God is not a respecter of person. So please remember, discipleship is a very costly business. If you have doubts, ask Moses. Ask any one of them. Because the nature of discipleship is it demands everything of us. Joseph was a disciple. We are looking at Joseph on Passover, on Good Friday. Therefore, his life was different from his brothers. His brothers could be called followers of Jacob. And he could be called the disciple of Jacob. Okay. If Jacob was a type in the initial period of his life. Jesus is the one who set the conditions for discipleship. We can't set. He sets the condition. Who He who calls sets the conditions for those who can be a disciple. So in Luke 14 and verse 26. <laughs> we know it so well that sometimes it becomes too familiar. Don't get familiar with that. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Does it mean we should hate? No. What does it mean? It simply means we put Christ first. All you have to do is put Christ first, the rest will follow. All Joseph had to do was put God first. He didn't have to hate his brothers. His brothers hated him. So choice was made very easy for him. The day he put God first, everywhere he went, he's into trouble. We don't face so much trouble because we don't put God first. God says, try. Put me first. And see what will happen to your life. Aren't you one of that man's disciples? Peter said no. Quickly. Aren't you one of his disciples? And he said no. And we do not realize that every place, like we are, like some, some of us live very, uh, what you call, protected lives. But if you really go into the world and you want to get something done, then the question, unasked question is always is, can you do it this way? Are you one of his disciples? And by our very action, we say, we are not. We are not. We don't realize the question is always there when we go out into the world. Any, any, any time. Any time. The question is there. Are you one of his disciples? It's a question asked by a servant girl but reverberates through history for 2,000 years. Are you one of his disciples? Peter said, no. And Joseph is being trained as a disciple. Because disciples are not born. They are made. And they are made in the furnace. So we go to the second demand he puts for 27. 
Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Second condition, he puts two things. One, you must bear your cross. Second, you must bear your cross and follow me. That's a double trouble. The cross itself is heavy. Bear your cross and sit still in your house. No, follow me. Follow me. He said, carry your cross. Not your problem. Your problem is not your cross. Because everybody in the world has a problem. If the problem is your cross, then Prime Minister Modi has the biggest cross in India right now. How to get out of this rut of this country. So even today in his Good Friday message, he said Christ uh, sacrificed and served the people. No, he didn't serve. He saved the people. There's a difference. One word can make a whole lot of difference. Everybody will say Christ served the people. No, he saved the people. Everybody serves the people. Christ saved the people. So he says, carry your cross. Bear your cross and come after. And always this question, theological question from theologians to the average simple believer as, what is this cross? Some husbands think their wife is their cross. <laughs> I have yet to see a man carry his wife and bring her to church. If she was your cross. <laughs> or a wife saying, my husband is my cross. I haven't seen any woman carry her husband and bring her. Okay? The best, simplest, easily understandable definition of cross I heard long time back from Derek Prince. Uh, he said something like this. He said, the cross is, simply he said, the cross is shaped like a cross. It's when God's will crosses your will. That's your cross. And you will know what it is. Your will, God's will. That's your cross. Every time God's will cuts across your will, that's your cross. Bear it and follow him. And I thought that was the most easily understandable. And when I heard that, and I looked at it, it's true. Every day, you have to bear your cross. Your will crosses his will. From the time you have decided to wake up. Decide to wake up. Unless our phone has is set up with 15 different alarm timings like Sammy's. <laughs> okay. I loved that definition. I thought that was the best. I thought, oh boy, how easy it is to understand. Hey, that's the cross. Every time my will crosses God's will. And at every point, Joseph is being taught by the Spirit of God to die his to his self-will. Every time. That's what he's being taught. If you turn with me to Genesis 37, verse 13 and 14. Genesis 37, 13 and 14. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Sishim? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Please go and see if it is well with your brothers. His will and his father's will. He's the youngest. Technically, if you are the youngest then they should be taking care of you. They should be wondering whether you are well. But instead, the youngest is being asked to go and check out whether they are well. Okay? And his will and his father will 
crosses and he will say, here I am. Here I am. In 39 and verse 6, 39 and verse 6, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Who is this? Potiphar. Meaning Potiphar's will is this. And Joseph's will is this. Crosses and Potiphar. Joseph dies to himself and lives out Potiphar's life in the household. There's only one thing that is outside of him. That is Potiphar's wife. The rest he gives into his hands. And he takes care of it as if he is Potiphar. He dies to Joseph and Potiphar lives. And Potiphar doesn't even have to check anything. Because if Potiphar were to do it, this is how you would do it. Or better than that, he did it. Joseph died. Potiphar lived. If you come to Genesis 41, 39 and 22, 39 and 22, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did it, it was his doing. What did it mean? Joseph died. The prison warden lived through him. Lived through him. You will see at every place he is dying. Himself is dying. Jacob lives through Joseph. It is Jacob who is going to check on his sons. Because Joseph has died. It is Joseph who is taking care of Potiphar's household. But actually it is Potiphar. Because that's the life of faith. In life of faith, whose voice you have heard and obeyed, that person's life you live. So Jacob lives through Joseph. Potiphar lives through Joseph. The prison warden lives through Joseph. And then when you come to 41 and 41, Genesis 41 and 41, Scripture says, The Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. After that, the Pharaoh doesn't bother. All the rest of the life of the Pharaoh is left in eating, drinking, playing. Joseph takes care of it. Anything, go to Joseph. Anything, go to Joseph. Anything, go to Joseph. Why? Joseph is now living the Pharaoh's life. This is the life of faith. And that's what God is looking for people. Every time we carry the cross, we obey the voice of God. Christ lives through us. That's why he didn't say bear the cross and leave it there. He says bear the cross and follow me. To follow him you have to hear his voice. Your self will dies. You listen to that voice and you obey that voice. Every time we do that. Remember the Roman centurion? Matthew 8. We have heard it many many times. 6 8, 6 to 10. Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dead dreadfully tormented. Just said, I will come and heal him. What did he say? Sanjir answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. The first thing of a servant is he acknowledges his unworthiness. Unworthiness. So the first thing. Okay, The minute you think you are worthy, then even if you are a good employee, you will still try to project yourself and not your master self. Okay. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he And the scripture says, when he heard it, he was stunned. What is this man saying? 
isn't i'm a man under authority how do i know because i'm here sitting with standing before you and talking in israel where am i thousands of miles from rome i am here because jesus said go jesus said go i'm here left everything and here what am i having doing actually i'm living the life of caesar here that's why everybody employed by the government is called government servants the government lives through them from the peon the smallest fellow to the chief secretary cap of india they're all government servants and that is the government okay there are two governments one is a bureaucracy and then there is the elector but that is the government and they all call government servants so he says i am a man under authority how here am i he says that go go did he tell you directly no he told you through different channels but any channel who says it is the same a man under authority he said go go and in the same way he says if i tell this servant to go go he will go and if i tell him to come he will come and jesus said this man has understood what the life of faith is what is the life of faith god says go you go he says come you come and god is living through us we have died to ourselves his will and our will crossed and his will takes over okay now remember with the roman with the gus worldly governments it's a different thing but the kingdom of god when we manifest we are living in a very hostile world this world is hostile to the kingdom of god so it means something else too and hebrews 12 and verse 2 what it means if you pick up your cross and follow him then he's left a model for you look unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him that is in the future there's a joy set for us in the future what do you have to do you have to endure the cross you cannot put it down you cannot put it down you have to bear your cross and bear it continuously don't put it down you have to endure the weight of the cross and not only that you have to bear the reproach of the cross in the government there is glory in the kingdom of god there is reproach there is a clash of governments it's a clash of governments the cross must be endured and the shame also must be endured there is no recognition in this world there is no glory and so one of the first thing the disciple has to understand they all followed him thinking there would be glory kingdom will come can we sit here can we sit here when is it coming when it's coming then they realize on pentecost okay this is not what it really means and job judas got it and he backed out he tore his contract sold it and he died there's no glory in this now the glory the joy is another day so you have to be so discipleship is not a easy process if you have to be a disciple you have to bear your cross and follow him and endure it till the end and in this discipleship road is when people quit they drop off it's like the marathon 20000 will join three people finish but you paper will only show the tv starts and the movie starts and all in their nike outfit and all but you never see any one of them finishing 
Well, the marathon is going on quietly. They are slipping off in this side and they get into their SUV and they go home. But to get the crowd, you need them. But this is not a marathon of superstars. This is a marathon of ordinary disciples. Now, there was a man uh, who went to a very saintly person, very saintly person, and said, can I be your disciple, young man? Can I be your disciple? He said, yeah. When you, those days, if you want to be a disciple, you live with the saint. So, first day, he asked him, what should I do? Will you teach me? He said, shut up. <laughs> he was very upset. <laughs> Second day, he went to him and he asked him, will you teach me? He said, be silent. <laughs> so he was very upset. <laughs> Three, four days went like that. Finally, he was so frustrated. He packed up his bags and said, one more time, he'll go say bye. He said, sir, I am leaving. I'm very upset because I had put in so much faith. I wanted to be your disciple and be like you. Five days I have been coming to you. And each time you just said, be quiet or be silent. The guru looked at him and said, I'm also sad you are leaving because you didn't learn the first lesson I told you. That was to be silent. I was trying to teach you the first lesson of discipleship. That is, be quiet. Be still and know that I am God. A disciple is somebody who hears, not one who talks. Who hears. Everything begins with listening. Faith comes from hearing. Morning by morning you have awakened me. You've given me the ear of, ah, we need that ear. Tongue of instructor will come later. Said you forgot to First, five days I've been trying to teach the one lesson. In five days you didn't learn that lesson. What was the first lesson? Be silent. That's a lesson Elijah is being taught. Be silent. Three and a half years of silence. Be quiet. Listen carefully. I will let you speak. But you should learn to listen. One day when you stand there, you should be able to hear it so clearly that when you open your mouth, you will speak what I'm trying to tell you to speak. Because you're not dealing with just man. You're dealing with powers of darkness. You better hear carefully. Right. Ten years or eleven years or twelve years, we do not know. We don't hear a word about Elisha. All we know is, is listening, 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 observing, listening, asking questions, learning nothing about Elisha. But then when Elisha is revealed to the world in 2 Kings chapter 2.15, what is the testimony? Now when the sons of prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Elijah is gone. Elisha is now alone. Now he is presented to the world. When he is presented to the world, what do they say? The spirit of Elijah is resting upon Elisha. Fifty years, days later, Jesus is gone. When the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin, they said, these men were with Jesus. They are revealed. But when they are revealed, who is revealed? Jesus is revealed. Jesus is revealed. Because they were with him. Okay. Our problem is we want the glory of the crown without the reproach of the cross. 
without enduring the cross, without bearing the cross, bear the cross, endure the cross, and the reproach of the cross. For 13 years, Joseph had to go, bear the cross, follow, bear the reproach of the cross. Hebrews 13, verses 12 to 14. Familiar words for us, but brothers who are listening. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Good Friday, let's think as Good Friday, okay? That he might sanctify us with his own blood. Where did he suffer? Outside the gate. Gate and inside is where all the glory lies. What lies outside? Reproach, where the dead bodies are thrown. Outside. So therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. We want to be in the camp. In the camp there is glory. There is a camp of 50 people. Wherever you go. You go to Gilgal. You go to Jericho. You go to all these places. 50 of the sons of prophets. That's a camp. They're known as the sons of. But they don't want to leave the camp. There's only one fellow who leaves the camp. He has no name. He's not even called the son of a prophet. Because his father is not a prophet. He's called the fellow who pours water on Elijah's hand. He's not called. He's got no name. Because he's not in the camp. He's outside the camp. But one day because he bare the reproach. And he's declared. They come and bow down before him. So we are asked to go outside the camp. Because there is this camp of Christianity. It's all glory. And name. And tags. And everything. It's all. You know how it is. There's no difference between that camp and the world. It's all outward flashing and glory and titles and three-piece suit and all that. But scripture says, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Verse 14. Because for here we have no continuing city. We are not looking for anything in this world. We are seeking the one to come. Okay, now you put this together, because if you take this out and only read verse 15, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't really become life. You look at this, and then says, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Then your praise becomes sacrifice, because you are bearing the reproach of the cross. It is not easy to sing. It is not easy to sing. When you are bearing the glory of Christ, it is very easy to sing. Who can't sing in heaven? Even people who don't know have musical talents will sing nicely in heaven because now it is glory. Everybody will sing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. Everybody will dance. But to sing and dance now, if you are wearing his reproach, is another thing. That is a sacrifice. There is no sacrifice there. Effortlessly everybody will sing and dance. But here now he says, is there sacrifice? And there was sacrifice in Paul and Silas's praise. It is a sacrifice of praise. Because they bore the reproach of the cross. To be beaten. To keep quiet. Knowing that you are a Roman citizen. To be stripped naked. Then thrown in the midnight hour into a stinking dungeon. And they are singing. And there is sacrifice. Art thou one of these man's disciples? 
And he said, no. Why? He did not want to bear the reproach of the cross. That's the reason. He didn't want to bear. He didn't want to bear the reproach, the shame. Earlier when Jesus was free and everything was working out well with all the miracles happening, they all were like, we are disciples of Jesus. We are all disciples of Jesus. Lord, should we bring fire down? All disciples. Trying to cast out demons and all, everything they are doing. They are all disciples. When the reproach came, they said, I'm not. I'm not. And that's the question. There was even an organization, a very good organization called Ambassadors of Christ. What are you? I'm an ambassador from the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what ambassador teachings are there? Truth is there in those teachings. You know what ambassadors have? They have diplomatic immunity. So you are an ambassador from the throne of heaven. Remember, when you walk in the world, you have diplomatic immunity. That's how they teach. There was another ambassador also in the Bible in Ephesians 6 and verse 20. He's also original ambassador. 6.20 For which I'm an ambassador in chains. That's the difference. I'm an ambassador of Christ. But in, if you ask Joseph in the prison, who are you? He would say, I was an ambassador in chains, in fretters. Who are you? I'm an, an ambassador is representing somebody else's rep interests, not his. He says, I'm representing Christ's interests, but I'm an ambassador in chains. There is reproach. There is reproach. Please understand, there is reproach. Right? Because today we have all these titles, ambassadors, hmm? apostles, that is the highest title you can get in the kingdom of God. First of all, Nigeria produces lots of apostles. <laughs> like a factory chain, they are coming out. And these days they are coming out younger and younger and younger and younger they are coming out. Apostle this, apostle that, apostle that. Kya baat hai? First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 onwards. The real apostle. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles. Last. The kingdom of God, realm 3, first. Realm 1, last. As men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to the angels and to the men. Okay. Two levels they are being shared the reproach of Christ further down. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise. All these new three suited apostles, you are wise. We are weak. You are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. To, pre to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. While they look like fatted calves. The other apostles. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world. The offscoring of all things until now. That's an apostle. Adi. 
This is an apostle. Who is that? What are you? An apostle. What does it mean in the world? The filth of the world. As far as they are concerned, you are the worst. You will be the epitome of all the hate. That's why all the apostles were killed. They hated them. Because they knew the kingdom of God. This is the advanced troops. Advanced troops. Okay, D-Day, Normandy landing took place in the year 1945, if I'm right, in May. Okay, but the first set of people, all who landed, all of them, most of them died. But then they got a little beachhead. And from there, the Allied forces advanced, advanced, and Europe was free. But the first set of people laid their lives. And they were, the, they, they are the, they, these apostles are God's crack troops. And when the world looks at them and the enemy looks down on them, he hates them with a perfect hatred. Because they know these are the most dangerous and the world considers them the filth, the offscoring off of all things until now. Okay? And they are willing to bear their reproach. See, we hold Paul and all in high regard, not in their days. <laughs> In their days, nothing, okay? Please know everything, anything like that. The church was really, really persecuted and the apostles were playing hide and seek with the law most of their life. So God says, are you carrying, bearing your cross? Are you following me? Will you endure till the end? Third condition, 1433. 1433. Oh, Luke 1433, okay? Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Like It's, it's like a, what he called. Now, what does this mean? I can make this mean whatever I want to. Right? I feel good about it. I'll give you simple ways how to handle stuff like this. These are loaded statements of Jesus. Simple thing is to make a list of whatever you think is yours. Whatever you think is yours, my wife, my children, my home, my car, my house, my ministry, my church, and take it all off until you have nothing. When Jesus finished, he had nothing. He didn't even have something to say, my clothes. When he died, he did not have something to say, my grave. The cross was borrowed, the clothes were taken, and even the tomb was borrowed. Nothing. He was the actual only man who came, nothing in his hands, and went with nothing in his hands. And when he rose up glorified, he folded his handkerchief also and said, I don't want that also, you can keep it. If you want to know, forsake all that he has. It's very simple. All our job is to write it down and hand it over to God. Some may we may take away, some may he give, but that is his prerogative. No questions asked. Silently give it to God. That's all. God won't take it all in one day. Don't do, he, he won't do stuff like that. Don't be scared about it. He won't do take it all in one day and all. But he will take it away. Little by little by little by little by little by he will take everything away until you are completely his and then he will give some of those things back. Not all of it. 
you may give it all back if it doesn't if he knows it doesn't affect your relationship with him at all then he will give it all back he gave everything back to abraham he put isaac on the altar that was his everything gave him back to him but after that day you know isaac is not mine he is god's okay so these are all marks of a disciple okay Otherwise, Good Friday and all doesn't mean anything. Passover lamb, okay, they came out. And did they enter? No. Jesus died on the cross. It's history. Jesus died on the cross for me. That's salvation. And now he died on the cross for me. Why did he have to go to the cross for me? And what do, what is my reaction to that? Response to the cross. God says, this is your response to the cross. Pick up your cross. Bear it. Endure it. Hate all compared to your love for me. Forsake everything and follow me. This is your response I expect. This is the response I expect. But I leave it to you. You choose. Fourth response of a disciple. John chapter 8 verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. This is what we call continuity. If you continue in my word, continue hearing, continue obeying, then you are my disciple. It's not a one day or one week or one year thing. If you continue in my word, you are my disciple. And that's why I believe the lockdown is the most interesting test for the disciples. No church. Whatever is there is online. Nobody to check even whether you came to church. Otherwise, at least once a week you would be caught. Why didn't you come? Are you okay? Is anybody? Now, no accountability at all. Who knows who is listening? Your name doesn't come up on the YouTube. Unless you choose to chat. Nobody knows. In a church of relatively this number, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times people are watching. So you can always say, I heard. Nobody is going to ask you, what did you hear in the morning? What did you hear yesterday? Nobody is going to ask you. There is comfort in it. Because you are accountable to none but one. This is the interesting part of this lockdown. No church. Each one is personally accountable to God. We as his servants are accountable to feed. But we have no idea who is eating. One day, two days, five days, 15 days, 22 days. Most probably tomorrow they will extend the lockdown till May 1st. From there, maybe to May 15th. From there, maybe to June 1st. The question is, we will keep feeding. Who will keep eating? Will we continue? We don't realize these are all the tests of discipleship. And every generation from the first lot who left Israel, Egypt for Israel, and from the time church has begun, 
Where has Israel failed? Where has church failed? It has failed only in one thing, in discipleship. The call of Jesus Christ is a call to discipleship. Wherever a man has failed, a woman has failed, a church has failed, it has failed to become a disciple. Nothing else. And conditions for disciples are the fourth condition is set is you will continue in my word. You are my disciples. John chapter 6 verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Who? Disciples. In verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Okay. And the teaching started going tougher and tougher and tougher. And at some point, disciples said, okay, that's it. I'm not crossing that line. Matthew 26, 56. Okay. 26 and 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Did they continue? They all left. It's all alone. Because they all left. Did he continue? Yes. He continued alone. And that's the call God is telling. There will be a lot of people who will be asked to continue alone. The rest of the church may fall apart around them. Apart around them. Will you continue alone? Jesus still continued. He said, oh, all my disciples are left. What is the point of this ministry? I don't want the cross. He didn't say that. He went all the way to the cross. You need to realize CV-19, I like it. No? COVID-19 has changed everything. You know how quick, the problem is people are, things have really changed outside. They don't want to believe it. They're still hoping the world will go back to the way it was. That is the problem. They still think, they're still focusing on that. What are they, everybody focusing? What is everybody doing in the homes? All the parents doing in the homes in these 20 days of lockdown. Still doing Saraswati Puja. Still worshipping education. Still making plans. You know, in this, in this nation, in this country. One career everybody wanted was to be a doctor. Right? Now, one thing your parent doesn't want you to be now is a doctor. Landlords want doctors to leave. Doctors are being spat on the road because you are bringing COVID-19 into our houses. Ask anybody. Does anybody want to be a doctor now? Isn't that what our dreams we pumped into our children from childhood? Doctor, doctor, doctor. Look at the situation of doctors. You know, the government has to really say that. We will take police action against landlords, protection. We will think if you do anything to doctors. 
On the other side, look at that. These doctors around the world really, really sacrificing. 20, some of them are falling literally on their feet in tiredness. 36 hours, non-stop shift, everything. And they really, really, you can come out at one in the evening and clap for them and all. But if that fellow gets COVID-19 and he dies and doesn't know Christ, all his sacrifice was worth nothing. Do you understand the futility of life? The stuff we have pursued? You think because he worked non-stop for 72 hours and fell on his feet and died, God will say, come to my glory? No, then he has to take his son down the cross. Okay, This is the futility. People are still not getting it. We thank God for all of them. But all your good works doesn't get you one inch closer to heaven. <coughs> if you do not know God... And receive his sacrifice. All your sacrifice is worth nothing. You know what Indians used to be? No? You know, no? People used to be very proud. No? Now nobody wants to say they are <laughs> Nobody wants to say they went abroad. And anybody who's went abroad, his house is sealed. And he's sealed inside. Kya style tha, no? Ray-Ban glasses sitting in the front of the Innova in the airport. No, come back with this that thing full of this thing. And you're looking at all you little fellows. I'm foreign return. Now he's hiding in his house. He doesn't want to know. One virus has shown all this is vanity, vanity, vanity. No? This is what God is talking about. You know? God is talking about. You know, all those who understood these principles and lived the way God lived, asked us to live, none of these things is affecting them. None of these things is affecting them. You are a believing Holy Spirit filled doctor. You can go right in the midst of where they are sending you and come out unscathed. And if even if you die in the process, you have died as a warrior, not for man, but for God. This is what he's talking about. Come to my rest and go out. Come to me, be with me and sent out. No fear. On the other hand, you can bring your patients who are dying last minute. Will you believe with me? Will you will you beat me? Crossover. Crossover. No fear. No fear. When you don't know God and what He did on the cross, all your efforts are worthless. You're giving false hope. <coughs> John eighteen and verse twenty five. Eighteen twenty five. And Simon stood, Peter stood and warmed himself, feeling nice. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? No, it's not a servant girl. And he denied it and said, I'm not. Two strikes. I'm not. Aren't you not one of his disciples? Again he said, I'm not. What's our answer? 
Are you one of his disciples? Turn with me to the same narrative in Luke 22. Verse 55 to 57. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man also was with him. Woman, I do not know him. Come down further. 59, 60. Yeah. After a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. 59. And about an hour had passed. Another confidently offered, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Turn with me back to Mark chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14. The call of Peter and the others. Mark 3. He went up on the mountain, called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be they might be? They might be? And what was the question? Are you not with him? And they said, no, you are not with him. So, so, you were with him for three and a half years, but you were not with him. Remember the other term? Being intimate without intimacy? You were not with him for three and a half years? Yet you were not with him. And God, God is a merciful, kind, compassionate, long-suffering God, right? It was like one of the other gods of the world, one of the hands with the axe would come and take Peter's head off. Another hand would come and hold him from hair to see this is what happens to those who say you are not with me. Our God, on the other hand, dies for us. With him? Oh Lord, how many times we also denied, right, that we were with him. He called us to be with him. Now Peter denies that he was with him. Were we with him? That's what Joseph is being tempted, you don't realize, at every point. His father sent him with his brothers. But the testimony he has to bring back was whether he was with his brothers or whether he was with Christ Jesus. And he brings back a testimony, I was with him and not with them. Then he is sent as a sold as a slave to Potiphar's and the entire pressure on him is, are you with them or are you with me? And his entire testimony is, I was with him and not with them. And therefore, scripture says the Lord was with him. And when he's thrown into the prison, the entire pressure is that, are you with them or are you with him? And his entire testimony is, I was with him. Therefore, scripture says the Lord was with him. And we don't realize this is the same drama that is being played out in every child of God's life. Are you with me or are you with them? And like Peter, we all have denied him a thousand times. I do not know him. I'm not. 
I'm not with him. And that's what the Bible says. Potiphar looked at him and said, the Lord was with him. Okay, when everything prosperous and everything is under our hand, things are going well in life, we will come and give our testimony. We were with him. But what if it does not? See, none of them were really disciples till that point. They had the form. They did not have the substance. And Luke 22, verse 62. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, finally, he's on the road to being a disciple. That's the beginning. He went out and wept bitterly. He is broken. He's being broken. You don't realize. I know we heard it. Let's go back to an old, old lesson we learned a year or more back, maybe two years back. Matthew 14, verses 17 to 20. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. He commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed, he broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave to the multitudes. They all ate and were filled and they took up 11 baskets full of the fragments. Okay. Let's go back to 17. First thing he said, we have only two, two, five loaves and two fish. What did he say? That is, they didn't get it. This is how he had called them to come to me. Bring them to me. And they had come to him so that they would be with him. He said, give it to me. Scripture says, he took. He took the five loaves. We love it. We feel very proud. Oh, God called me. I commit my child, Pastor, baby dedication. Could you please commit the child into God's hands? It's a wonderful thing, awesome thing. No? All these things are nice. No, basically, we commit ourselves into his hands. And he takes it. Anything, you give it to him. Any life, you give it to him. He takes it. And then, he blesses it. And we love it. That's what happened to Joseph. In his father's house, in Potiphar's house, both places, he was blessed. He's blessed, but he really cannot be used as God wants him. Because unless he's broken, he cannot be used. Lord of servants of God and children of God do not realize unless we are broken. We really cannot be used as God wants us to use. And I believe personally he was in the prison for 10 years. That's my take. But 10 is the year of God's testing. Three years prosperous as the overseer in Potiphar's palace. 10 years in prison. Neck and legs in fetters. Until the iron 
entered his soul. Depends upon each person. And depends upon God's plan. How long will God, it take God to break a man so that he can be used to the uttermost? Moses 40 years. Joseph 10 years. We don't know. In Psalm 105 verses 18 to 20. Psalm 105, 18 to 20. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time the word of God came to pass. The word of God kept on testing him. Will you continue? Will you continue? Will you continue in the word? Will you abide in the word? Will you continue? Will you keep testing him? And every day is a test. Every day is a test. You know, you have to realize, you see, you, we hear these stories because we get these daily devotions from open doors of how God's children have gone into unbearable situations that come out holy, pure, singing, and all. But that's only one side of the story. The other side of the story is just those, those who did not know God or those who hardly knew God when they came, they went raving mad in those prisons and died lunatic. We are seeing only one side because God was with them. We don't see the majority on that other side who went mad. Who went mad. Who went crazy. Okay. They went mad. That's the word of God is testing him. Every day, every week, every month, every year it's a test. Do you believe? Will you continue in my word? Will you bear your cross? Endure the cross and continue in your word? Till when? Till God decides. That's what verse 20. Each one of us. He made him. The king sent and released him. When the king will release us, we do not know. Imagine one day prince of Egypt and next day. One day you had a hundred slaves to take care of every whim and fancy. You ate of golden plates. Lived in luxury which mankind hardly could even imagine or dream of. That's who you were. And then for the next 40 years. And when will the king release you? When the king knows you are ready. And one day, as usual, 40 years later, he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He sees a burning bush and turns aside. And then God says, Moses. And God called Moses. He knows Moses is ready. Moses thinks he's not ready, but God knows he's ready. 40 years. Broken. And he's broken. Because what does he say? Can't speak. I have no strength. I have no deeds. I have nothing. And God says, fine. This is what a point I was waiting for. Because when I tried, you 40 years ago, you said you can do everything. And I couldn't use you. Now you are broken. You can't do nothing. I need broken people. Because the task I have to commit into your hand is huge. You have to stand before the mightiest army of the world and get my people out. And you have to be meek. All I will give you is a stick. That's all. And you will bring your people out. But you will have to hear very, very carefully. The king will remember, will release you when you are ready. Not one day before. Not one day late. He alone knows when we are ready. He alone knows. Genesis chapter 40, verse 14. 40, 14. I'm getting my T and E in very clearly. 
we know the story two dreams interpreted absolutely gift is working even in constraint with fetters and chains and all god's gift will still work if your heart is right your gift will work gift is working and to one he says you know you will be released you're going remember me when it is well with you please show kindness to me make mention of me to the pharaoh and get me out of this house this is being restored back to his position meaning he has access to the pharaoh which even potiphar does not have is a cupbearer right ehamaya position whom god king tried because i believe there was a plot to kill the king so everybody who has access to his food this is how you have to read history the kings are usually killed by poisoning so something was poisoned it was found out so the chief butler the fellow and the chief cupbearer these two are what is poisoned they are arrested then investigation goes and find it is got to do with the butler he's hanged the other fellow is arrested because to get a cupbearer is not easy whom you can trust with your life so he restored meaning he has access to the king all the time and joseph is saying please remember me put a word for me na? one word saab se ek baat bolna one word for me remember me what does verse 23 say yeah the chief butler did not remember joseph but forgot him for two years why your time hasn't come for release yet you're not broken enough for the task i have for you i have a task for you please understand this is the this is god god doesn't break our spirit he breaks our flesh you know breaking is a term which many you guys are not used to it but western horses is a term that is used you break a horse if you don't break a horse the horse is useless doesn't matter how glamorous it looks you cannot ride that horse you want to ride that horse you have to break that horse but the way you break your horse is that you don't break its spirit if you break its spirit then it will only go like this it's like a mule you have to break it without breaking its spirit then you that's why the old stories and books and all this the cowboy and his horse were like one what they loved their horses and the first thing he takes care of when he comes after day he takes care of his horse then he goes to take care of himself and in those old days if you stole somebody's horse you were hanged to death you're called a horse thief because if you stole somebody's horse that man could die because that's the only transport available to cross the desert and all so horse thieves were hung okay so breaking a horse and god is more gentle than the one who breaks a horse he won't break your spirit but he's trying to break your flesh which is the enemy's access point he's trying to yourself your self will and bent it so that you surrender it completely to god little by little by little by little by if you can do it in one go like paul and all but even that takes a process even though you do it one time it's a process god forgot him or god made god in forgetting god made that man forget him and that two years must have been the worst worst two years every day every day somebody at the gates ah, ah maybe it's for me 
Maybe it's for me. A letter has come. Somebody has come. Release that boy. Release that man. The Pharaoh has ordered. Because the only one who can overrule Potiphar's command is the Pharaoh. And you suddenly got access to the Pharaoh and you think, this is your break. You don't realize this is not your break. There are so many like young Josephs or older Josephs in the darkness of their dungeons, faithfully trudging alone, yet pleading to the arm of flesh. Remember me. Remember me. And they forget promptly. Because God will not allow a true child of his to depend on the arm of flesh. He said, it's either my arm or no arm. My arm or no arm. If it is my arm that works salvation in your life, then the entire salvation will be worked by my arm. And there will be no arm of flesh anywhere. If you have surrendered, be sure it will be my arm and no other arm. Because I said it's my right hand that worked out your salvation. And they promptly forget. Remember me. Leave me alone. Is David's plea to King Saul. And even made an oath. Saul said, okay. First Samuel 24, 22. Am I not loyal? Am I not faithful? And he says, yes, 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 you are more righteous than me. Nobody would do like this thing. No. So David swore to Saul and Saul went home. And David and his men up to the stronghold. They swore. He said, okay, see that you don't do anything to my descendants. David said, yes, boss, yes, sir. Yes, your majesty, I won't. Why are you after me? Please remember all the good things I did for you. And Saul went back. Then we look at First Samuel 26, verse 1 and 2. Two chapters later or a little time later. And now the defiance came to Saul at Gibeah saying, David, is not David hiding in the hill of Hakila opposite Jeshimon? And Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Zeph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David. Forgot. He's after him again. Why? Because God said, David, you haven't reached Yet, the end of yourself. Still, still not ready to be king of Israel. My king, Israel. Saul is, he can do whatever he wants. He's people's king. You are not people's king. You are my king. Outwardly, it may look the same. You are ruling over the same people. But inwardly, it's not the same. He belongs to the people. You belong to me. So you have to ask, whose servant are you? Are you a servant of man or a servant of God? And most of the servants of God or many of the servants of God are servants of men. But Paul says, I am not a servant of man. I am a servant of God. I am a servant of God. And to be a servant of God is not easy. Because your will is bent to his will. And his will is not pleasant in this life. Not even for his own son. When the son is pleading with the father, father take this cup away from me. And the father says, no. This is not my will. Your will. Bend to your father's will. And this is the day, if you want to put it historically, the wrath of God was poured on his only son. And you will know it will happen years later. 
David has come to the end of himself. We know it so well, right? Samuel 30, Ziklag, after three days journey, David and his 600 men come tired in the spirit, tired in the body, both weary because the king who, he said, please go. His people said, we don't trust you. And that's the last thing you want to hear. We don't trust you. So they go, come. And they're reaching close. All they see is smoke, smoke, smoke. They come and realize the Amalekites have attacked their town, Ziklag. Everything is gone. Nothing is left there. Everything is burned, all property. Their wives, children, everything taken. And already they are discouraged three days. Now they are depressed. In their depressed, they look and they say, you are the reason. And they're picking up stones to stone him. David has come to the end of himself. Now which arm will you lean? Akish? No. 600 men? No. You'll call to one of your wives for comfort? No. Look to your children? No. There's nobody, right? Which arm will you lean? He leaned on God's arm. He said, yeah, I was waiting for that. I was waiting. I wanted you to realize there's only one arm that can save you out of any situation. That's my arm. Scripture says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Then he asked Abiyatar, bring the effort, enquire for me. And scripture says, he inquired of the Lord. Immediately the Lord answered, what should I do? He said, pursue. Overtake. Recover all. Why? You are ready to be king now. The king in heaven has ordered your release. Ordered your release. And you will teach his princess the law. Please understand these concepts. These concepts are important. Remember me. <laughs> Please leave me alone. All leaning on. Arm of flesh. And they all promptly forget it. Luke 23, 42. Yet he teaches us even on Good Friday. The thief on one side. Lord, remember me. A king is a king. You can strip him. You can whip him. You can crucify him. A king is a king. It's a king. And in his agony, one saw a king and a kingdom, but nobody else saw. That's an incredible thing. Nobody saw. This man was some close by. He's listening to him, watching him. In the midst of his pain, he realized, you know what? What is written on his, above his head and what he is, is true. He is a king. Only kings can die like this. This is a king. This is, this is royalty. This is truly a son of God. This is God's son. He said, remember me. immediately the king's response, unlike the kings of this world, he didn't forget. He says, assuredly I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today. How awesome, right? God is, when we tell him, Lord, remember me, he says, assuredly I'll remember you. He doesn't forget us. I have carved you in the palms of my hand. Engraved you. He doesn't say the back of my hand. 
In English, we say, I know you, I know that place like the back of my hand. But nobody actually knows the back of their hand. They know the palms of their hand. See, God's English is better than man's English. God says, I have engraved you in the power. What do you mean, remember me? You're always before me. The son who has gone away may forget me, but I don't forget him. My thoughts are towards him and I'm waiting for him to come back. One step, that's all it takes, and I will run to get him. Remember me? Of course, assuredly I tell you. Surely I will tell you. You will be with me in paradise tonight. With me, you will be. That's our God. And the incredible part for me is this. There is he dying. There is another one thief and there is one thief. Both were shouting in the beginning and then one stopped and one stopped the others. Keep quiet. At least we deserve to die like this. He didn't. Okay? And then he appeals. And Jesus, if you look in the order here, if you look at the order here, okay, if you go further down, okay, Keep going down. Now it was of the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth. So it was darkened. Yeah, keep going down. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Okay? He said this. You know what? He died. Because he wasn't killed. He gave his life up. You can't kill him. He says, I put down my life and I take it. Now look at this. What has happened is a little later, probably a few hours later, the Roman centurions come. They come what? Because they will aid your death. They will break your legs. They come and break your legs because you need to breathe. So if you break your legs, you cannot breathe. So you die very fast. So when they came to break their legs, they broke. They found Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. Now you think about the timing of it. Let us say this is a guy. Lord, remember me. Assuredly, I tell you. And then he gave up his breath and he died. And this fellow is left hanging there. Now, even if you want to repent, there is nobody to cry to. He's gone. Your time is up. Your time is up. He died. <laughs> now, they will come and break your legs and you will die. But you will die and go to a God where there is, to a place where there is no God. You know why? Because his work is over. Please understand this. 2,000 years, his disciples started leaving. Because of his teaching. Remember, we had looked. Because of his teaching, they started leaving. John chapter 6, 53 to 54. Jesus cried out with a, yeah, yeah, sorry. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This was the doctrine that separated the follower from the disciple. All those disciples who looked like disciples were actually followers and they left him because of this one doctrine. And that one doctrine still separates the follower and the disciple. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 25. 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Did you get it? He took the bread. See, the format is the same. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And then he said, eat this. This is my body which is broken for you. And this is my blood which is shed for you. Where is life? In the blood. What is he saying? He says, when you are broken like me, when my life becomes your life, that's when you become my disciple. Otherwise, you do not have part of me. And that's when they walked away. And that's where followers still walk away. They won't cross that final line. They won't allow themselves to be broken. That's a doctrine. That's a final doctrine that sits, stands between an ardent follower becoming a disciple. Will you allow us yourself to be broken like the way I was broken? Will you allow my life to replace your life? That is the death of self. There we back off. Not yet, Lord. Not yet, Lord. Not yet, Lord. Little more, Lord. Little more. Then he can give us away. Then he can send us where he wants to send us. Then he can send us to any place, anywhere we like it. We, our likings and dislikings have gone. His liking has become our liking. His life has become our life. His will has become our will. You know what will happen? Then we will multiply and multiply and multiply and feed and feed and feed and feed and feed and satisfy. You know why? Because his life always satisfies. Then our eyes are opened. Luke chapter 24, 30 and 31. Recapping things which are important we should never forget. Wrote to Maos, they got into that inn, he also came in. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Pattern never changes in the Bible. Took, blessed, broke. We like taking, we like blessing. After that, leave me alone. It's my life. I like your blessings. Prosperity, health, hallelujah. I love you, Lord. I love you. Our worship is all so great. It's no sacrifice in our worship. It's no sacrifice in your credit because all this worship is out of blessings, not out of sacrifice. There's no sacrifice in our blessing, in our worship. Okay? It's all this is about blessing, blessing, blessing. He takes us and he blesses us, yes. And then he breaks and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They knew him. They knew him. And he vanished from their sight. Then their eyes were opened. Verse 35. They rushed back to Jerusalem, reported to the apostles, and they said, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of... It's when we are broken. That's when we will know him. Till then we have really, we know him at different, different levels. 
But to know him through brokenness is a different thing. And God is telling Joseph, you're not broken enough. You think you're broken enough. You're not broken enough. I want you to reign on my stead in Egypt. I'm raising you up for a position where you will represent my life on that throne. For that, you need to know me. And you don't know me still as much as I want to reveal myself to you. You still do not know me. Not broken. Two more years. And those are the worst two years. Because scripture says where there is no hope, the spirit. And he had hope. This, you may be thinking rationally. He's a rational young boy too. He must be a young man thinking, oh yeah, this is definitely from God. Otherwise, how can the Pharaoh's cupbearer come and he get a dream and I interpret it. This is a man who was, this is the only man who can overrule Potiphar is the Pharaoh. And here is he, I interpret his dream. He is being released, I'm sure. One week, two weeks, something he will put in a word. Oh, there's some, okay, fine, release him. Every time there is at the gate of the dungeon. My release, my release, my release, my release. Then you realized, okay, leave it alone. Let me continue my walk with God. Second Peter chapter 1, 13 to 14. Second Timothy 4, 7 to 8. And Revelation 1, 9 to 10. Yes, I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Second Timothy 4, 6 onwards. Let's look at 6 onward. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and at the time of my departure is at hand. Revelation 1, 9 and 10. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. What is common between these three people? All three were broken enough, therefore they saw. All three. They're broken enough. So they saw clearly. All three. Peter who didn't begin well, it's very clear, my departure. Putting away. Paul, my departure. And here, he is hearing the departure of the entire church he's going to hear. When the church will depart. Yeah, come to that point where you can hear clearly. I'll give you the final revelation. That's what God is talking about. See, the problem is we want titles. We want titles without the reproach of the... We want to be called apostle without being the reproach of the apostles. We don't want to be called the filth of the world. (laughs) We want to be called ambassadors of Christ without the chains of Christ. We all love to be called pastor. Without the scorn... The contempt of Egypt, Genesis 46, 33 to 34. It shall be so when the Pharaoh, he's telling his brothers, Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Then you shall say, your servant's occupation has been livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, so you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an 
Every shepherd is an Wait a minute, Joseph. How long have you been in Egypt as prince? Nine years. With two years in the famine, they are coming. Seven plus two, you've been sitting on the throne. Look at him. He's absolutely Egyptian in his glory, sitting as prince. Look into his heart. He's a shepherd, sharing in the reproach of Jesus Christ. The outward man and the inward man is not the same. If you ask him what is your identity, he says, shepherd. And how do you see yourself in the eyes of the Egyptian? Abomination. Abomination. That's why God waited and kept him there for 13 years. You'll always never forget, I will give you the throne. I'll make you the technically the most powerful man on planet earth. The Pharaoh will give everything into your hand. But never forget who you are. You are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. You'll be an abomination to them. It does not matter. Don't forget who you are. My shepherd. Called to feed my people. These are the truths we have to learn. Because we are broken to give. The more broken, the more we have the life of Christ to give. Not our life. The less we are broken, the less we have to give. The more we are broken, the more we have the life of Christ to give. That's why on the cross, till the last breath, he's still giving. Joseph is giving in his father's house. Joseph is giving in Potiphar's house. And Joseph is giving in the prison and one day he will rise up and he will give and give and give and the whole world will come to him. So I'll say close for tonight. If you go to Genesis 40 and verses 1 to 6. It came to pass. Okay, I, I love this little, little this ways of construction, which is very old English. Okay, it came to pass after these things. You think? You don't know how long time passed. The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. I was thinking, ah. So Potiphar and Joseph had an encounter again. I wonder how they looked at each other. Captain of guard is Potiphar. Okay, encounter again. And Joseph must have been the same. Polite, kind person. And he charged him, Joseph, with them. And scripture is interesting. Scripture says he served them. So they were in custody for a while. He served them. Not he ruled over them. He served them. The difference between ruling over people and serving people. 
And that's what the problem with the disciples. They all joined Jesus so that they would rule. And Jesus said, yes, you will rule, but you will rule in a different way. The kingdom of God, rulers are servants. The kingdom of the world, rulers rule over the people. Because if you rule over people, then you will not know the pain of the people. You're only mouthing it. Because that's the first thing the government should have done. Yes, people are dying, but there are millions of them. We need to plan this out. Plan this out. And these are the poorest of the poorest, Lord, the immigrants, walking on the roads, no food, no water. Okay, let's plan this out. Let's have everything ready so that the poorest, the weakest of the Lord have to be taken care of. That is why the three parables begins with the weakest. The sheep that strayed is picked up, carried. That's the weakest. It begins with the weakest. And another one is a coin, much more grown, some more has a lot of knowledge of the Lord, but is precious, God sold. So, so, so. And the third one is the one who knew it all, rebelled and walked away. Still waiting for all three categories, God is waiting. That's a real servant king. Charged his soul. So they were in custody for a while. And verse 5, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night. Each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them. That's where it all begins. Because he was serving them, not ruling over them. He was serving them. So he looked at them. Not ruling them. There are like medical profession, there are doctors, there are nurses. There was the most famous nurse in human history is called Florence Nightingale. You know, she was the most kind-hearted nurse. You know, and stories say that she used to watch with her lamp over each patient. And when she passed from bed to bed, the patients used to kiss her shadow. That's what they, she was to them. The kindness of Christ flowing through her. He looked at them and he saw that they were sad. What if he hadn't looked at them? He wouldn't have seen they were sad. And what if he wasn't a merciful, tender-hearted person because he has become, he knows what it is to be falsely accused and thrown into prison. He knows what it is, the pain of it all. So he looked at them and said, why are you sad? Meaning he's not absurd in himself. The problem is that the, the, if the devil cannot get into what is us into what is called self-indulgence, he will get us into the bigger trap which is called self-pity. And people who wallow in self-pity never see others' griefs. And they got a ministry right next to them, around them. They never see it, so they are never re- released from their self-inflicted prison. They are also in a prison, but they are self-made. And they are never able to come out and the grace of Christ to flow in and through them because they are wallowing in self-pity. Poor me, poor me, poor me. So Naomi cannot be redeemed, though she is the one who is related to us. You have to look in Israel's history. It doesn't matter how old she is. Irrelevant. God has made their history begins with a 90-year-old woman getting pregnant. So your age is irrelevant. It is not Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. It's Naomi's kinsman who Boaz is. But can she be redeemed? No, she cannot be redeemed. Because she's wallowing in self-pity. 
Therefore, there is something right before our eyes and she's not able to see it and God is not able to work in her. And that's what happens. And here is a young boy, absolutely every step he's innocent, thrown in, fetters around his neck and his feet. And he's not wallowing in self-pity. He is still cheerfully serving what has been sent to him. Not ruling, but serving. And he looks at the face and says, why are you sad? For me personally, this is his breakout point. Everything is a test in our life. Everything is in a test. We want to move to our next level. God will send people to us. We don't even know or understand. But when we serve them, as we would serve anybody else, God says, I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. And we get our breakthrough. We get our breakthrough. And they say their dream. And suddenly the gift inside works, which hasn't worked for years. When was the last time the gift worked in you? When you were 17 years old. How old are you now? 28. 11 years have passed. But the gifts of God are irrevocable. That's why he's telling Paul. Paul is not telling, Timothy, Timothy, your gift has gone. Come here, let me lay. He says, fan it back to flames. It's still there. God has given you a gift. It's still there. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It's still there. It is still there. Your consecration may go. The gift doesn't go. Still there. The consecration makes the gift powerful. Suddenly, after 11 years, he has a dream and he gets interpretation just like that. He gets like that. He gets like that. But you know why? Because he was willing to serve. A lot of people are just dying in their homes because they are drowning in their misery. And the complaints may be real. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, it may be a child, it may be anybody. Whatever it is, your situation. You're drowning in your misery. But if somebody should have drowned in his misery, it was this young man. Because unlike any one of us, he was absolutely, totally innocent. All the decisions for him were made by others. He did not make one decision. But we, when we have gone through trouble, it's because of the decisions we made. And we did not even take responsibility for it. We kept on trying to justify it. Not this man. And he's not wallowing in misery. He's not wallowing in self-pity. And that's what God is talking about. Look at him. Don't you realize all of us are destined to rule just like him? Just like him. That's why I keep saying 13 chapters in the book of Genesis to teach a new generation, new covenant people, how you can become an overcomer. What does the word overcomer, word overcomer mean in the kingdom of God? It is not your activities, it's your character. It's your character. He's there. Everywhere you see from the time his record begins in Genesis 37 verse 2 till the end you see he is serving. He is serving. He's serving always. And he never loses his, who he is in Christ Jesus. Everybody wants to say, I am the righteousness of God. True. I am a overcomer. True. I am a royal priesthood. True. Are you a servant? Are you a servant? Are you a shepherd? An abomination in the eyes of this world. Are you that? That's, that he never forgot. He never forgot his identity. He never forgot where he came from. This is who I am. A shepherd who serves, who lays down his life 
And his final words to Israel was that God will send rescue. So don't bury me here. When that man comes, take my bones from me. Take my bones. And that is the history of Joseph. So intertwined with the history of Israel. 430 years later, when Israel is moving through Sukkot, come to Red Sea, there is this one box going. It is Joseph's box. Later in the wilderness, another box will join this box. That is the Ark of the Testimony. Now you will see two boxes. For me, it's incredible. Two boxes going through. And first will be the Ark of the Testimony. This is the testimony of God. And second will be the box of Joseph, meaning this man's testimony is my testimony. Let them go together. Until Israel has overcome the promised land and the plot as given to Benjamin or Joseph over there, his body is laid to rest. That's Joseph. That is Joseph. That should be our story. We have an identity here and we know that's our place. There is where my soul will find rest. But here, right now, I have found my rest in him. But I am not of this world. This is just a tent. Ready to put it away anytime, he says. But till then, this has been given over to serve him. And serve him wherever he sends me. Whatever situation he puts me, I will never forget who I am. I'm a, I'm a call to reign. Yes, a servant king. A servant king. That's how it ends. So this evening, once again, as we close, my dear wife, I want you to pray tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we just give thanks today for this is the will of God. Thank you for the word today, Father. It will not come back void. It will accomplish what it was sent out to do, Father. I pray, Lord, this evening, Father, as the world celebrates Good Friday, we know, Lord, our Jesus is alive and well, my God. To us, my God, it's a joy, Father, today. It's a joy today to know, my God, that we have the cross that we can cling to today, Father. Oh, Lord, you took our sin. You took our iniquity. You took us transgression. You took it. You took the sickness. You took it all, my God. You took it all, my God. Jesus, 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 thank you today, Father. Thank you for another day, Father, that you brought us through, my God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't thank you enough, Father, for what you've done for us, my God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength, my God. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Father. Yes, Lord. This is a test of our character, my God. Nobody knows when we're in our homes what we do, my God. But I pray today, Father, you see and you know all, my God. You see the end from the beginning. You know it all. Your eyes are to and fro on this whole earth, my God. But I pray today, Father, every one of us as we're home, Lord, 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 will spend time at your feet, my God. We'll spend time 
knowing the Father in heaven, knowing our Jehovah Jireh, knowing our Jehovah God, knowing our Jehovah Rapha, knowing, knowing the great I am, oh Lord, the same God yesterday, today, and forever, drawing close to you so you could draw close to us, my God. Your word says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. My God, you surely are directing our path, my God. Well, we're locked in, quarantined, but yet, Father, you're in control. Your sovereignty overrules everything. My God, you are the creator, my God. Jesus, 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 we give you our nation, my God. Oh, Lord, we give it to you today. We just give you India. We give you, Lord, United States. We give you every country today that is struggling. We give you every country, my God, oh, Lord, that have people in hospital beds today, Father. Oh, Lord, 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 I pray while they lay there in their beds tonight, my God, that they will know you. That you, Lord, will visit them in a vision and a dream, my God. That they will know who our healer is. The greatest physician we'll ever know, my God. We just pray, my God, that you will touch hearts today. We pray for a harvest of souls through this, my God. We pray, my God, what the devil meant for harm. God can turn around for good, and you surely can, my God. You surely can. We have seen the hand of God. We have seen you move in our lives. We have seen what a miraculous, loving, faithful, merciful God you are, my God. Your grace is sufficient, my God. Truly, we can confess today, my God. We are weak vessels, my God. We are weak, but when we are weak, you are strong, my God. We truly can confess today, my God. And Lord, we can say that there's nothing good in us. Nothing, nothing good in us, my God, except the God that we serve, my God. There's nothing we should even be proud of, my God, but boast about the God we serve, my God. We are nothing, my God. We realize how we're just stuck at home, my God, but we're not, my God. If we could take this and turn it around, my God, spend time with God, hear from you, my God, meditate on the word, oh Lord, be of good courage, for I am with you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you, says the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, meditate, my God, let the word of God never depart from our mouth, my God, teach us as a church, my God, to stand in the gap, to intercede, to pray one for another, to pray for the backsliders, to pray, my God, today is the day, Harden not your heart, my God, my God. I pray, take blindfolds off, my God. Take blindfolds off, my God. Unclog ears today, my God. Let them see, my God, the kind of God we serve, that his hand has been over us all the days. Your mercy endures forever and ever, my God. From everlasting to everlasting, my God. We just give thanks today. We give thanks, my God. We pray for the ones that have no hope, my God. But we, we as the church know there's hope in Jesus, my God. We know, my God, there's hope in you, my God. And I pray, my God, oh Lord, that you will touch, my God. Touch them, my God. Have mercy upon them, my God. Have mercy upon the poor today, Father. The ones, my God, that truly, truly are starving, my God. And I pray today, my God, would you have mercy, my God. You said when we were hungry, you gave us to eat. When we were thirsty, you gave us to drink. When we were without shelter, 
you gave us shelter. What you did to the least of my brothers, you did unto me. My God, my God, oh Lord, use us. Use our hands, use our feet, use us in this time of a crisis that the world is facing, my God. But we know our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. We know in whom we believe. We know that God is with us. We know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every lying tongue that rises against us in judgment we shall condemn. This is our heritage as a servant of the Lord. And our righteousness comes from you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. Even if we had a million tongues today. We can't thank you enough because you're so good. You're so good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We just thank you today, my God. Touch every heart that heard. Touch every heart, my God, that still doesn't know you, my God. You could do it, my God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through you, my God. And we believe, my God, to save unsaved loved ones today, my God. Save them, my God. Save them, my God. Your coming is near, my God. Give us this burden to cry out for our unsaved loved ones, my God. Oh, Lord, touch them, my God. Oh, Father, it's not your will that no man should perish. My God, my God, hear our cry today. Attend unto our prayer. From the ends of the earth will we cry out unto thee. When our heart is overwhelmed, lead us to the rock. Lead us to the rock. Teach us to pray without ceasing. Teach us to pray in that heavenly language. When we don't know what to say, teach us to pray in that heavenly language. My God, we just thank you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we just come to you, Lord, once again. This night, we just come to you, Lord. We just surrender this time into the hands, Lord. Oh, Father, if the blood of the Passover lamb could break the power of Egypt over Israel and they could come out in one day, how much more the blood of Jesus? If the form had so much power, how much power the substance has? If the form had to be offered every year for the atonement, but this was once and for all, as your word says, O God. Father, we plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over the lentils of our house. Every household, Lord, every home that is represented, Father, every person, every member of our households, Lord, who are hearing. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. And the destroyer has to pass over. The power of the prince of this world be broken in the lives of your people. Set them free. Jesus, in your name, we speak healing. We speak deliverance. We speak restoration in lives and in homes. Because it was purchased for us on the cross, O Lord. It was paid for in full. That's what you said, Lord. But salvation has been paid for. And I speak healing. I speak deliverance. I speak restoration in homes. Touch, Father, touch. Let every power of darkness be bound in the lives of your people. This is that season we know. But no dog will wag its tongue. We bind it in the name of Jesus. There will be light in every one of your children's lives. Even if there is darkness in Egypt, hopelessness, 
there will be hope in every one of our lives, Lord. Because of the work you have done, Lord. And I pray when this is over, it's a set of disciples who will emerge out of their houses. We will never be the same again, is my prayer, Lord. Disciples will arise, O God. Sold out and set apart for Christ. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you once again for one more day in the land of the living to serve you, to serve your people. Thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.